for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, it's May. It was, it was freaking hot outside on Saturday. We were baking, Zim and I, out on the golf course. 90-degree weather, cold beers, talking sports, shooting the breeze. Second time in person that we've seen each other since last fall at the Gateway Lounge. Uh, where, you know, the numbers just started spiking and there wasn't a vaccination. But, Zim, you and I are all vaxxed up, ready to party. We were going to do it this week, but uh, we both got busy at our jobs. You work from home, you know, writing about that Jackrabbit team. We're going to spend pretty much the entire hour talking about. I mean, they're two wins away from a national title. Uh, I'm inside the birdcage, literally. Uh, the Sioux Falls Canaries baseball offices, where I work full-time now, Getting things ready for the season. All the entertainment you're going to see at the ballpark. Uh, just telling you. I know uh, a lot of you have been to Canaries games in your life. You like coming out here. You think it's a nice place to go and take your kids and green grass, cold beer. And it is. But it's a whole new ball game out here this summer. You're going to walk into this place. You'll recognize a lot of it. But the experience will be unrecognizable. Uh, it's going to be an absolute effing blast. We're going to make sure of it. And uh, opening night is two weeks away. If you have your vaccination card with you, so you know you can't. You have to get the vax. Uh, you'll get in free that night. We got Big Lebowski night, July 9th. Wear a robe to the game. Get a discount. We're changing our name to the Dudes. We got fireworks every Friday. We got playground and bounce houses for your kids. So we have the best outdoor patio, the best outdoor bar in Sioux Falls. We have, of course, us in the Gateway. But, uh, you know, we got stuff, a fun place for your kids to go while you can just sit back and enjoy. So can't wait. Two weeks away. I know Zim's going to write stuff about it coming up. In the meantime, I'll stop pussyfooting around because, holy crap, what a football game last night. I mean, that was uh, it. I, I was able to – you weren't there. You were at the game. You weren't watching it, Zim. But I got past the fact that the ESPN2 announcers were treating it like – it was uh, an early September game, like James Madison at at Alabama or something like that. Uh, but it, it it was terrific. What was it like in person? It was awesome. Uh, it really was a fun, entertaining game. And, uh, you know, I always kind of can tell, or I guess maybe like the way I measure whether or not a game is truly a, a great game is if I'm, I myself am nervous at the end, you know, because obviously I have no dog in the fight. I'm not sure you don't. Invested. And, you know, over the years, whether it's, you know, a, a high school basketball state tournament game or a Sioux Falls Storm indoor football game or, or whatever, if it's a good enough game and if there's enough doubt about like, oh, my God, I really don't know what's going to happen here. You know, that's kind of, I think, what gets your blood pumping. And, and uh, those last few minutes, like I was very much – edge of my seat you know heart pounding like this is fun this is this is drama this is you know what you want out of these games and uh i'm certainly happy for the jacks that they won like we said last week you know that would really have been a tough loss for john stiglmeyer and his Uh. staff given how things have shaken out for them this year uh but it was hard not to feel bad for southern illinois too i mean uh you have to give nick hill a lot of credit you know he replaced dale lennon 
a guy who's kind of a coaching legend in this part of the country. And Dale Lennon couldn't get it going at Southern Illinois. And uh, for Nick Hill to come in, I was kind of like this 30 year old kid replacing Dale Lennon in Carbondale, Illinois. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. Uh, but in a couple of years, he's made them into a pretty damn good team. And, uh, you know, th- they used some trick plays last night, certainly. Um, but it was not like it was a fluky sort of thing. You know, they took that 44 to three loss from a month ago. And, uh, you know, I think Nick did a good job of encouraging his team to own it, you know, not try and distance themselves from it, but say like, Hey, yeah, that happened to us. We played that shitty. And they came back in this game ready to go. And I don't think the Jacks took them lightly. You know, I don't think it was a thing where they were like, Oh, we beat these guys 44 to three. It's going to be a cakewalk. I think they were ready. And SIU was just that good. And, uh, you know, that made for a super entertaining game and give credit to the Jacks. They were able to make just enough plays. You know, I think they, out of a 60 minute game, they were maybe only really good for 20 of the 60 minutes, but that was enough. And now they're one, one away from going to Frisco. Yeah. I mean, down 20 to seven, it was looking bleak at 20 to seven. I mean, it it was, nothing was going right. They scored, they steamrolled down the field on that first drive, mostly on the ground, but then the touchdown pass, and uh, SIU punched him right back in the mouth and made it 7-7, seven to seven. and then the Jacks just played horrendously the entire rest of the first quarter, both sides of the ball. They're giving up all kinds of acreage they hadn't, and they couldn't get anywhere on offense, and it was, start- of course, the first thing I was starting to think was, here come the old F- FCS stomach cramps again, the, the playoff stomach cramps, which have uh, more Ooh. so arisen in the semifinals of recent years, but I mean, it was like this home game earlier in the day, North Dakota State (laughs) lost. And maybe North Dakota State's not that good. We can get into that later. Like, we're just thinking about the name on the marquee, the brand, and they may may only be the fourth or fifth best team in the FCS this year. But they lost, and of course, so it kind of felt like that's just part of the whole narrative. If If the Jacks can't win the national championship... Without North Dakota State, even in the semifinals, I mean, it, it just inflates, it amplifies, it puts on steroids this thing you and I have been talking about the last few weeks of if they can't do it this year, when can they do it? Uh, th- well, th- this will just continue to pile on to Stiegelmeyer's reputation. Built this whole great thing with the help of Dana J. Dykhouse and some friends with 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 a lot of money. I almost said benefits. Um, but, you know, when, it, when are they going to... Take the leap. And if you can't do it now, it, well, and then by halftime of last night's game, it's if they can't even make the semifinals without North Dakota State in them and they lose this thing at home and they could have had the semifinals at home. I mean, no, no matter how people really took this spring season seriously, they lose that game last night, Zim, and it's, it's uh, you know, we, fortunately we don't have to think about what we would be talking about. We're just talking about how, Southern Illinois is a lot better than that team that SDSU flogged 44-3. to They were a worthy challenger, and the Jacks made a lot of awesome plays that could only inflate their confidence that they'll be able to win games like this the next two times. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a thought that, you know, over the course of a playoff run, you know, three, four games, however many it takes – you might have one game that isn't as good as the other ones where you get a scare, where you play down to your competition or barely win a game. You should win comfortably. And if you're the Jacks, you hope that this was that, you know, that they'll be sharper against Delaware, more ready to play, uh, won't make as many mistakes, uh, and they'll win that game more comfortably. 
Uh, I sure, certainly wouldn't get caught up in thinking that if I was one of the Jacks players or coaches, because like I said, uh, I don't think it was a situation where they took Southern Illinois, you know, lightly or whatever. They just, you know, were getting outplayed for long stretches of that game. But I do think, yeah, it was good for them to, not that they haven't faced any adversity this year, but they hadn't in a while, uh, certainly to that degree. Uh, I think the best thing that happens to them is maybe uh, wakes them up a little bit on pass defense. I don't think they're very good at defending the pass. Mm. And a couple times I've kind of implied that to John Stiegelmeyer, and he's kind of uh, poo-pooed my suggestion. Um, In the Holy Cross game, you saw a couple times uh, the Jacks had serious breakdowns in coverage, and a Holy Cross receiver was wide open deep down the field, and they just couldn't hit him. They they did they did not have a capable quarterback who could make those throws. Uh, and I I asked John in the week leading up to the game, you know, did you, you know, take those couple plays to heart and say, hey, this is something we got to fix because if it happens against uh, Southern Illinois, you know, their quarterback's probably going to be able to make that throw. And he was kind of, and I'm not trying to pick on John here. I mean, it's not like he obviously knows has forgot more about football than I know, but he just seemed a little bit like, oh no, we're not too worried about that. And I kind of felt like, well, really, I. I don't know. I feel like maybe you should be because no matter how good the numbers were this year for SDSU's their defense as a whole, but especially their pass defense, you know, Trey Lance didn't play. And a lot of the other hmm. quarterbacks in the league or a lot of other teams in the league, you know, were going with freshman quarterbacks. Uh, there weren't the established veteran star quarterbacks in this league. You know, the Chris Strevlers, the Austin Simmons and, uh, you know, all sorts of guys going back to, you know, a lot of different programs in this league have had great quarterbacks over the years. I don't feel like the Jacks really faced any good ones this year. And so you could sit there and say, well, statistically, you know, no one's really had a ton of success throwing the ball against them. Well, you finally faced a, a better quarterback. And I think Stone Labanowitz is a lot better at this point in the year than he was a month ago. They've got two fantastic receivers in uh, Lenore and uh, Avante Cox. It almost cost them the game. And now against Delaware, I haven't, you know, fully delved into, you know, scouting them or, or breaking down their personnel or everything. But I know they have a good quarterback who threw for 240 yards against uh, Jacksonville State on Sunday. And uh, that means that, you know, they're going to see the film and go, oh, geez, you know, the Jacks on one side of the field, their cornerback was burnt toast all game long. You know, there were receivers open all game long. They had first, you know, one yard gain on first down, one yard gain on second down. Big deal. Third and eight completion, first down, over and over and over again. And uh, that's something the Jacks definitely have to address. So as far as, you know, taking taking things from this win, this near miss, so to speak, whatever, I think that's a big one. They have to look at that and go, hey, we dodged a bullet here. We were not able to, to oh, defend sorry. the pass well at all in this game. Let's fix that so we don't have to have the same sort of difficulties against Delaware. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, the terms I use is acreage and real estate. I There are so many passes in that game, especially when the portions where SIU was dominating, which was mid-first quarter on into the mid-third quarter. Where, I mean, the ball's in the air and you're like, oh my God, that guy is wide open. Like, how can that guy be that wide open? Or it'd be a shorter pass and occasionally a run, but a lot of shorter passes where it's just a little dink and like, wow, he's got a lot of green in front of him, you know? And the I guess the best thing that that defense did was prevent the long touchdown passes, at least on th- three particular drives that turned everything in the middle of the game. Yes, the Salukis were able to get down the field easily, but twice inside the five-yard line, they failed to score a touchdown, and that included late in the first half when they had all the momentum in the world. And... Uh, 
and and then once, of course, on that goal line stand where SDSU has uh, come right out of the gate to uh, down ten at half to score a touchdown to make it a 2017 game, and then uh, and then the Jacks deny them three or four times inside the five, including fourth and goal from the one, and immediately. Mark Gronowski goes on that 67-yard touchdown. So we got a lot of things ahead of us here beyond just what happened in this game, like Gronowski not winning the FCS Freshman of the Year, like this Delaware quarterback you mentioned who got his bell rung and also hurt his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot to this game against the Blue Hens that's very interesting to me. But uh, the, the, the SDSU defense, yes, lousy against the pass and yes that could keep him from winning a national title but the fact that they bowed up and on three SIU trips at one point again I think it was all second and third quarter inside the 20 they came away with six points twice inside the five yard line they came away with uh three points so uh at, you know, at the very least they made big defensive plays when it counted and then I mean, what about Mark Gronowski? He was terrible after that first drive. Um, for most of the rest of the first half, he was missing everything. And, uh, again, you were there. I was watching the TV broadcast, and at one point they put up on the board, I think it was that Trey Lance and Mark Gronowski, they both were, I think, Offensive Players of the Year in the conference, Freshman of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, and they're the only two players in in Missouri Valley football history to win all three of those awards like right out of the shoot to start their career and so immediately one of the commentators was like oh well we'll see if Mark Gronowski can play up to you know we saw what Trey Lance could become and it was like almost on cue after that was said which is no it wasn't an unreasonable thing to say but it's like wow you know we know Gronowski had a great spring here but <laughs> to compare him to a, now the number three overall pick in the NFL draft and then it seemed like on cue. I know Gronowski didn't hear it, but right after that was brought up, he had already been struggling, and then he just kept misfiring. Uh, and he looked very, and on TV, the close-up of his face at the line of scrimmage, and then certainly after the ball was snapped, he looked very nervous. He looked very undecided about where he was going to go with the ball. And, you know, kind of like he hasn't quite felt this much pressure all year or in his career, which he hadn't. And uh, things were going against him. And so uh, you know, ha having a halftime helped obviously, because after that, he was a stud. I mean, he, you've been saying it all season long, how much his teammates love him. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, that's like the first full Jacks game they watched all year. Like me, they may have been following it, but like, okay, Sunday night ESPN two. Wow. I mean, uh, that was, that was a, that was a big coming of age performance. Well, I mean, he's done it a couple times. You sure. Know, the, I know. Literally the first game of his career, you know, against Northern Iowa, he started great, then he kind of hit a lull and allowed Northern Iowa to come back and take the lead, and he had to lead them on a game-winning touchdown drive in the final minutes, and he succeeded in doing that. Uh, I think it was a similar situation with uh, Youngstown State. Uh, somewhat similar, they weren't behind, but uh, the NDSU game, uh, late in the game, he had to make some plays. So I don't know that he was – I mean, I, I, I too think he looked a little rattled in the first half but I don't think it was so much that he was, you know, panicking or not able to handle the pressure. I just think he wasn't playing well and was kind of like, well, shit, this isn't as fun when I'm not playing well. And uh, also in his defense, it was not the first time this year that he ran into some issues like what we saw. I mean, he's got a big arm. Yeah. He's a great runner and he's got all the intangibles and everything, but uh, his completion percentage this year was only about 55%, I think. And there were a lot of games where he, 
I don't want to say like he had entire games of being inaccurate or being wild, but he had bouts of that in every game. Uh, he just has stretches where the accuracy isn't consistent. And that probably comes from being a 19-year-old true freshman, uh, a guy who just hasn't played a lot of football. I think he'll continue to work on that and get better at it, but that's just something the Jacks have to sort of live with. Uh, but that also puts a lot of pressure on the other guys on the team. And that was sort of why, as things were happening and they're losing 20-7, to 7, I'm watching it and kind of thinking, okay, you know, they're playing poorly in all three phases. I mean, I made that comment on Twitter between – you know, having their backup punter in there and missing a field goal on special teams and the offense, you know, obviously hitting a big wall after that first drive. But I felt like the defense was the biggest culprit because um, as good as the Jacks offense has been, as much as, yeah, Mark Grodowski's the player of the year in the conference, that offense is not built to play from behind. That is a run first offense that is built to, you know, eat up clock, take the lead, play with a lead, you know, grind down opposing defenses when they're down by a score or a field goal, no big deal. But all of a sudden you find yourself down by 13 points. That's when it's kind of like, okay, you kind of got to go to the air here a little bit. And, and they weren't built for that. And that I think was when maybe you saw Mark, you know, what, whether you want to say he was getting rattled or whatever, it's kind of like, Hey, this is a lot harder when teams know that we have to throw the football when they don't have to be as aware or respectful of Isaiah Davis and Pierre strong or the quarterback run game. And I think maybe that's where, you know, his, whether it was, you know, mental struggles or confidence or whatever uh, became a factor. And that's also why uh, the the kickoff return by Isaiah Davis that set up the field goal oh, before half was yeah. so big. I yep. mean, it still was, it was still a two score game, uh, but just to go into half, you know, within 10 points and with some momentum and just kind of, I think the whole roster being able to kind of, you know, exhale, take a deep breath and say, okay, this thing isn't over yet. Uh, and then they got the stop early in the half and eventually we're able to kind of get back to doing what they do again with, you know, we didn't even mention you alluded to the, the, the goal line stand, the four straight stops there, but we didn't mention, you know, what enabled that to happen. And that was the very controversial call by the refs to not give Southern Illinois a touchdown on that play in the corner of the end zone. You know, if, if that play is ruled a touchdown uh, it's 27, 17 Southern Illinois late third quarter. And the way they were able to chew a clock and keep the Jacks offense off the field that might have been enough. That might have been the football game. Mm-hmm. So there were, you know, it's one of those games where I think both teams can look back and see tons of individual plays and say, geez, if that had gone different, if we'd have done this, if we'd got that stop, if we'd have called this play. I mean, it was just one of those kind of games. Uh, but like I said, the Jacks, I, you know, a 24 0 run. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't the same as last time where they closed the game on this great run because they scored 24 in a row, but then again, Southern Illinois answered. You know, and, and if they'd have converted that uh, two-point conversion on their last touchdown, mm. which was just a drop, you know, it wasn't like someone on the Jacks made a great guy was open, he dropped it. If he catches that ball, then Southern doesn't need a touchdown in that final drive. They're going down there. They can kick a field goal, go to overtime, and who knows what happens there. So, again, so many things uh, yeah. impacted that game. And I, I, I think it's just one of those games where, you know, if I'm John Stiglmeyer – I'm not apologizing for anything. Like, no, we got out with a win, and that's all that matters. Yeah, he wasn't at right after the game. I, I didn't hear his press conference, but on ESPN, he was just mentioning they were asking him the biggest difference between 44 to three a couple months ago and 31 26 tonight, and he just said Southern Illinois. I mean, they just they just they had, they played better. They had they came they came at us with more, different things that we saw, and we had to adjust, and uh, we did, and, and great on to the next. But and outside of those 
three times where Southern Illinois was in the red zone, came away with six total points, twice inside the five, three total points, uh, was also big interceptions by the Jackrabbits on possessions where SIU was moving the ball down the field. That one in the end zone, I can't remember if that was the first or second half, but um, it was actually on a fourth down where if the Jacks would have just knocked the ball down in the end zone, they would have had an extra 15 yards and we would have started at the 35 instead of Yeah, the that was 20. essentially a punt. I don't yeah. think that was that big of a play. True. But. Okay. That's fair. And then, uh, but then of course the one late where they, they, you know, they're running out of time and they need to throw toward the end zone. And but the, again, if, if Lenore had caught that two point play, yeah. they wouldn't have been in hail Mary mode there. They yeah. would have been get down into field goal range and send it to overtime. I love that their their quarterback was uh, as advertised. He was uh, he had a motor and he had a motor mouth too. Uh, I would I, he was a guy that I wanted to punch in the face. Watching it on TV over and over again. But if he's your quarterback, you love him. I mean, I I know watching that guy, I'd love that guy as my quarterback. But uh, you know, he got he got a little sloppy, and you know, he had a coach who wanted to put the foot on the gas and. Roll the dice and and all those cliches and he he had the quarterback that does that as well and that'll in this case it burned him but uh, with Gronowski also I'd I'd like to add and, and see it's more of a question as much of it is a remark it does seem like maybe Jason Eck was finding things to uh, get Mark back in a rhythm when he was struggling mightily uh, both on just you know easy easy dink and dunks and then also just good plays where. It's not an easy pass, but like that, the the play at the very end of the first half after the kickoff return uh, was just kind of like a ten yard slant pattern, and either it was a defensive breakdown or or Jason or or Mark found something where it's like just a just a laser over the middle for fifteen yard catch and twenty yard run, and bang, they kicked that field goal to go into halftime. It just kind of felt like yes, Mark has a lot of resilience and he's good. Uh, 67, being able to run at 67 yards and outrace a defense can help a lot of your throwing ills. Um, but uh, did you think Jason did some work there to kind of get Mark and that offense back into the game after they had like five straight drives of uh, misery? Yeah, because like I said, th- this is not an offense that's built uh, t- you know, to throw the ball 50 times a game uh, to try and come back from a you know, two or three score deficit by airing it out. Um, but when they were down 13, when they were down 10, whatever, um, you know, if you look at the Jacks offense this year, even in games where they did put up big numbers throwing the ball, uh, you know, tons of passes to tight ends, tons of passes to running backs coming out of the backfield. Yeah. <laughs> so you are kind of watching this going like, hey, they don't have to start throwing 25-yard slants to the Yankee Twins to get back into this. You know, they've got literally three or four pass-catching tight ends that you know can get out and have create serious mismatches they did have one really big completion to tucker craft i think that was the only one or no they had another one to blake coons um probably could have got a little more of that involved but you mentioned the uh, delayed pass to, to pierre strong to set up the field goal that's the kind of stuff they needed to do and that's the kind of stuff they did do uh to get mark kind of back into a groove and also just to to, to loosen up the, the saluki defense a yeah. little bit because again the jacks at least at this point in mark's career and with the receiving crew that they have, they're not quite ready to be, you know, this is not the Karen Christian, Jake Winicky, Dallas Goddard offense from a few years ago. And it, it true. And, and Goddard kind of falls into this category of the Yankee twins, but isn't it awesome to have an offense where you have that kind of nightmare matchup at tight end, or in this case, you know, th- three or four cases of, of just large 
human beings that uh, that you don't have to throw it perfectly to, who are also physical and are going to get you yards after the catch because they're going to have a hard enough time defending the pass. And then once he, he the guy catches it, he's going to knock you over and rumble you over. And it was, you know, for, a, for such a kind of run-heavy offense – it was still such a fun offense to watch come back and, and do some damage through the air when they needed to do. And you're gonna, as you as we've mentioned, you're going to need to keep doing that. You're it'd be nice to say we're going to be able to control the game like the Jacks were able to do against Holy Cross and against North Dakota State. Uh, but chances are you're going to have to make big plays in the air. And let, let's stay on Gronowski here. Nobody's listening anyway. I'm John Gaskins. He's Matt Zimmer of the Argus. Gateway Lounge, we appreciate their support. We'll we'll be back there soon to do our shows from there. Uh, had to be rocking on Sunday night. I mean, that was the that was the beauty of this football game. Was unless you're a big ESPN Game of the Week person, uh, if you're a sports fan, uh, you know it's not like there had been a lot of steam uh, nationally with the FCS, like some I think FCS lovers thought there would be with the spring football. We've discussed that on this podcast a time or two, but finally you got it on a Sunday night, 8 PM. What's, what is anybody else doing? If you were just curious and tuned in, I thought the field looked great. The stadium is obviously really cool. They had really nice shots of the SDSU campus. that looked really pretty, even though, uh, the play by play announcer said during one of those shots, welcome back to bookings, South Dakota. Uh, guy wasn't even there, of course. Uh, they were they were both doing it in their in their dens, but uh, it was uh, I think it was a good uh, it was a good promotion for FCS football. It was a game that delivered, um, and you know, and and Mark Gronowski gets to deliver. And look, he's got he's got two more stories to write. If they win the national title, he's a legend forever. But he's not the FCS freshman of the year the uh, award better known as the Jerry Rice Award. And you had a, you had a pretty good Twitter thread today explaining all this because, uh, yes, Offensive Player of the Year and the, easily the best conference. He's the quarterback of the number one seed. He's, he's the biggest reason he got them there because quarterbacks always are. Uh, so what are the explanations of him not winning that award? The other guy had way better stats. I mean, that's just all there is to it. And I – I didn't pay. I'll be honest. I don't care about these awards. I would care if I voted in them because I, if someone wants me to vote in something, I'm going to take it seriously. I'm not just going to blow it off. But given that I don't have a vote in this thing, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to it. So I had no idea what Mark's chances were of winning. I hadn't looked to see if there were other guys who had better numbers or worse numbers or whatever. Uh, but so it moved across Twitter that this other guy, I think his name is Cameron Ward or something from Incarnate Word, won the award. Incarnate like, Word. Okay. Yeah. I was like, so okay, I'll. Who's this guy? And uh, so I looked and, you know, he led the nation in touchdown passes and, you know, had had really impressive statistics. And, you know, I think Mark Gronowski had, I don't know, 13 touchdown passes after last night, something like that. The other guy had 24. So I'm like, well, okay, but, you know, the other guy has way better numbers. I get it. But, you know, what's incarnate word? Who, Who are, you know, they went three and three. Did they play anybody beat anybody they're not in the playoffs um, and how often was that dude how often was that dude's team trailing i mean do they have an offense that right. is running is right. uh you know right and also how yeah. you know did that did that guy play north dakota state north dakota southern yeah. illinois and northern iowa you know yeah. which the jacks played all those teams i mean so i mean you know obviously sdsu fans are biased and that's okay they can be there but but they also have a really good point you know, just pointing to look what Mark Gronowski has gone up against compared to this other guy. Um, I'm not surprised the other guy won because 
frankly, most people that vote on these things don't put that much effort into it. No. You know, they don't go deeper for context or, you know, well, you know, how does this guy's numbers compare to this other whatever? And uh, the example I used in my explainer on Twitter was uh, back when I used to cover the Cougars, USF, when they were NAIA, I can remember having some conversations with uh, Chuck Morrell and John Anderson uh, and Kalen DeBoer uh, about how it made them so upset how their offensive players would always get all the credit and all the recognition because, you know, from Chad Cavender to Lorenzo Brown to John Ryan to Dusty Havorka, Mike Garage, all these guys were always putting up these huge numbers because they were winning every game 66 to 10 and 71 to nothing and all that kind of stuff. But the defense, which was every bit as good, uh, didn't get nearly as much recognition. There were a couple teams. I think Kalen's last team had like six shutouts in one season. I mean, so this is if, – if we're talking about who are the best players in that conference, you probably should have given all 11 USF starters, you know, first team all GPAC or whatever. And, and you know, Trevor Holloman or or somebody, the, the player of the year. And I think Trevor did win one. But it just – I remember one of the coaches saying to me, like, the reason that we don't ever get the credit on defense that we deserve is – at the end of the year, when they vote for these awards, the coaches and the media, they just look at the stats and who are the league leaders. And, well, this guy had the most sacks and this guy had the most tackles and this guy had the most interceptions. So that's who gets on the all-conference team. Well, no one on USF ever had anything near the top of the league in tackles or sacks. Well, guess why? They're so good. They're only on the field for 20 plays a game. You yep. know, it's three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. That You don't play that much football when you're that dominant. And uh, I, I'm not saying that's exactly an apples, apples, apples to apples comparison with this award here, uh, but you've seen it lots of times before. Um, Trey Lance won all the awards last year, but North Dakota State, you know, eight national championships. They don't have eight player of the year awards. I know that for a fact. Um, same sort of deal. Did they deserve more individual recognition than they got throughout the course of their dynasty? Yeah, I'm sure they did. But the reason the Bison were so good that they win all those championships is because they're loaded everywhere. You know, all 22 of their starters and probably their entire two deep. You know, they probably have 50 players on their roster at any given time that are all conference caliber. And there's these other teams where the guy, you know, when, well, oftentimes the guy who wins, you know, some national player of the year award or whatever um, is one of, you know, two or three good players on his entire team. I just remember a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was Taron Christian's senior year, um, they were playing Kennesaw State in the quarterfinals, and they beat them down in Atlanta. And Kennesaw State's quarterback that year was a finalist for the National Player of the Year award. And I don't mean to pick on the guy. I'm not even going to mention his name, but like he, I could not have been less impressed with this guy. I mean, you got down that he was uh, – he reminded me of myself, and that's a bad thing. <laughs> okay. He was a 5'9", 200-pound white quarterback who couldn't throw and couldn't really run, but he just was on a team that didn't play anybody and pushed everyone around, and he put up pretty decent numbers. And in that particular game, he got hurt against the Jacks. The backup came in, and the backup was clearly better. And after the game, the Jacks were all talking about, like, geez, you know, we almost lost because their starting quarterback – finalist for national player of the year got hurt like that actually helped Kennesaw State's chances of winning the game and that just kind of made me realize at that point like wow this entire awards system in in at least in the FCS is really messed up because that guy wouldn't even be that he wouldn't have been the backup quarterback on USF or Augie and he was the 
whatever conference player of the year and all these big numbers. And again, Kennesaw state had a good year and I'm sure the guy had all sorts of intangibles and was a great player character, all that kind of stuff. But just, he was not on the same level as the guys you see in the Valley and in the CAA. And that's what makes awards like this difficult. And why my advice to Jax fans is don't get too invested in this because quite often they're not going to get it right. And, 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 and yet at the same time, you know, when it comes to, cause you vote on awards all the time for conference awards, for Valley football, summit hoops. And a lot of times really, uh, you know, uh, players of the year are going to be the best player on the best team. Sometimes it's obvious the teams, the teams that people watch the most anyway and pay the most attention to. And uh, so but you got an interesting point when it comes to football about how you have two sides of the ball. And when it comes to, Offense, it's easier to wrap yourself around statistics. Um, but from my point of view, in, in in my former life, my former profession for so many years, I guess I'm doing it right now, doing some sports talk here. But on a daily basis, when there's all kinds of arguments that you're trying to have about this versus that, this guy versus that guy, this team versus that team, uh, you, you can... You, it's so easy to just back up everything you say with a stat because that seems to be the most, uh, I don't know, mathematical, scientific thing, right? And at the same time, I I would try, will try to do my due diligence at times to make points with context and and do exactly that. Okay, let's go back and see how many blowout games this person was in. Uh, what was the situation? Watch some highlights. Watch the people play. If you didn't see the game, don't just read the game recap. Uh, watch at least watch the highlights, or have some sort of or, or have some sort of understanding. Especially when it comes to um, oh, I don't know, like when it when it does come to yards. Was your team starting at the twenty yard line and you had a bunch of eighty yard drives, or uh, was your defense forcing the other team to punt from deep in their own territory and you only had 40 and 50 yard drives and so your stats weren't as good you know stuff like that you got to work for it a little bit you 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 know the people in our profession Matt we mean well we love covering sports but sometimes and this includes poll voting as well high school polls national polls you know we don't want sometimes we don't want to do a lot of work for that kind of stuff <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, look I mean, at a lot look, of the, look at the results and move on with your life. You know, this yeah, isn't the most important thing to us. That's sort of the trouble with it too. And you probably remember this from your. Uh, I'll give you a chance to talk about your mid '90s Huskers here for a second. Um, when they were uh, the year that it was them in Michigan, remember? And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Michigan won the AP poll and Nebraska got the coaches poll. Sure. Am I right about that? Yes, '97. Yeah. Right, and it was very common. And it made sense on its surface for people to say, well, of course the coaches poll means more because who knows more about football coaches or the media, you know? And of course uh, I was always surrounded by Husker fans who were taking that, that stance that, well, clearly ours is more legitimate because coaches of course are the ones who know everything about football other than these stupid reporters who dared to vote for Michigan. How dumb are they? And that does make sense on the, on its surface. Yes. You know, John Stiegelmeyer, Brock Spack, whoever, they all know more about football than I do or any other reporter. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of times those coaches either vote dishonestly because there's a, they have a grudge against some yeah. guy or I'm not going to vote for that guy. Or some coaches don't even do it. They have their SID vote for them because they're like, I got better things to do. I don't give a shit about this. Or some coaches just like you just said, 
they're busy. They got you know. Think how much time oh. coach spends in the course of a season just doing his job as a coach. They you know, are one game, track minds. Yeah, they're, they're all that yeah. stuff. And now all of a sudden, someone says, "Oh, hey, can you take two hours out of your day to really you know dive into this and and investigate and research before you vote on your poll or whatever?" Like, no. So I don't think that that you know a roundabout way of saying. I think Michigan's national title was every bit as legitimate as Nebraska's, but also saying that when it comes to these non-conf or these uh, all-conference teams, these postseason awards, it's not so easy as to just say, "Well, it's the media's fault for not knowing anything about football or not doing their research," or you know, or the coaches aren't. You know, it's both. Everyone, like you just said, people only put so much into it, and like you said, more often than not, they're just going to go to the the conference leaders page and go. Okay, this guy threw for 3,000 yards and 25 touchdowns, and his team won the conference MVP. You know, and more often than not, that's probably going to work. You know, when 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 Taron Christian won it, he deserved it. Uh, yeah. When Chris when Chris Strebler won it, I thought he deserved it, even though I pissed off everyone on SDSU's team for voting for Chris. But you know, usually there's a couple pretty clear candidates, and 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 it kind of works itself out. But you know, the the Kennesaw State example I gave you, or in this case here, the Jerry Rice Award thing. You know, maybe they didn't get it right. I don't know how good this guy is for Incarnate Word. I have no idea. But I do know, chances are, the statistics only tell part of the story when you look at who Mark Gronowski had to do his work against this year compared to that guy. Two two follow-ups and then we can move on. One is these coach, the, that quote-unquote coaches poll. It's not just, we're not talking, when it comes to that specifically, we're not talking about taking time out of their week. We're taking time out of their game day where they spent the whole day, not just, right. not right. just with the hours that they get before the game starts to do whatever they do. I'm worried mostly about recruits, all the recruits that are in town on a game day to tour the facilities. And, you know, the, the head coach is always going to meet with the most coveted recruits and talk to them. And like, and then they've got a whole game to worry about. And then there's all the post game shit with the media, the press conference, their team. I have, I mean, whatever they do, like they don't have a second that day to watch their next opponent's game, let alone mm-hmm. anybody else's game. To have any idea, I, I just, yeah, I've always thought that's a farce and that's probably an SID voting, but I'll t- but you know this as well as I do, being around Jason Hove at a Division One school as much as you are. Those SIDs don't, have, you know, I mean, they might be tracking a little bit here and there, but I mean, they are so entrenched in every little detail, sun up to sun down on a football game day about the team they're responsible for. Yep. So, uh, yeah, they're not watch- they're not watching those other games that they're to, to base their poll vote on and um, and probably not even, and sometimes not even the highlights, you know. Um, so anyway, the other point off of that was, uh, <clears throat> other than the fact that Nebraska, you know, beat four top ten teams by an average of five touchdowns uh, in those games, and throttled by uh, four touchdowns the number two team or the number three team in the country, Tennessee, in their bowl game, and Michigan squeaked by uh, little old Washington State uh, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, those are those are very close. Those are teams that were very close together that year, uh, in nineteen ninety seven. Nebraska Michigan played a much much more difficult schedule. The, Big Ten was loaded that year. The, the, uh, Nebraska beat four top ten teams. No, no, the big and then played six other patsies. Move no, on. No, right well, well, yeah, Michigan had about <laughs> seven other patsies as well. That's the Big Ten. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay. It is, uh, by the way, we're at two weeks, away from, two weeks away from Sioux Falls Canaries season. There's a hell of a lot going on with uh, the birdcage, the new half a million dollar scoreboard, the team that's coming back from a finals team last year to other things that are coming to the stadium and coming to the city because of these new owners. And I'm excited to talk about that in future weeks uh, with Zim, who I'm sure is excited for some baseball as well, but we got two weeks left in this uh, FCS football season, and the uh, Delaware is the Blue Hens come to Brookings on Saturday. And uh, speaking of Michigan, they have the uh, the Wolverines. The, the, yeah, oh, yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear that. I'm sure at some point this is part of. I'm sure that's part of your research this week that you can find that out why that happened. You know why Michigan had had those helmets? No, uh, they like their head coach at some point, like you know, somewhere in the early 20th century thought it was uh so the quarterback could see the quarterbacks could see the receivers more easily if they had a really? distinct helmet like that the dark with the uh the yellow stripes how the hell i just saw that i don't know how the hell i watched and learned that oh it was a michigan ohio state documentary i somehow found a time in my life to uh, in the past couple of weeks to watch uh it's a great documentary on hbo from like 2007 michigan ohio state okay um what, the only thing I know about Delaware is that their quarterback took a cheap shot, and so who knows how dinged up his bell is from that. And also, he had he had to get out of the game for a little bit after having his uh, non-throwing shoulder rammed into, which that, that's you know better news than his throwing shoulder. But uh, so as good as he is, and as efficient as I guess he is, he's not dynamic athletically. Uh, that could be that could be a problem for old Delaware as they come into as they come into Dana, Dana J. Dykehouse Stadium. What are some other things we should know about the Blue Hens? I don't, like I said, I, I don't know a ton about them. Sorry. I haven't, no, that's fine. I mean, I probably should have before we did this podcast, but I've been pretty busy today. How dare you. Didn't, didn't get home till 2 in the morning last night after the uh, Sunday night late kickoff and the fact that these playoff press conferences take about an hour and a half. Um, like I said, I, I think the big thing, again, before sort of delving into their personnel is they're undefeated. Uh, they come out of the CAA, which is widely regarded as, you know, either the second best conference or, um, you know, you ask some of them, they'll say it's the best conference. Uh, they finished seven and zero. James Madison is, I think, is also seven and zero. Obviously, that means they didn't play each other during the season. But I think it's very telling what the CAA decided to do to pick essentially how are they going to decide who gets their AQ out of their league. Uh, they they just voted on it instead of going to a tiebreaker system like the Valley did. And that league's coaches voted for Delaware over James Madison, even though James Madison is the number one team in the top 25 poll and has been uh, basically since NDSU got beat. Uh, that's a little surprising to me. Now, again, we talked about how coaches can be petty and there can be great, you know, maybe all the coaches in that league just are like, hey, Kurt Signetti's a prick and we don't like JMU. Maybe that's why they voted for Delaware. I don't know. Uh, but it could also be that they think Delaware is the better team, that they think they played a tougher schedule and that they were more deserving. Uh, and if that's the case, then that means the Jacks have a hell of a challenge coming their way. I mean, they, they obviously do anyway, a, a team that's 7-0 and playing in a really good conference. But uh, we all know how good James Madison is. Um, there's a school of thought out there that they are a little bit down this year, and maybe they are, but they're still undefeated. They're still one win away from being in Frisco. Uh, and if Delaware's better than them, and I'm not saying they are, but if their league's coaches maybe think that they are, well, that says something. Uh, and again, again, I think the other thing is, you know, they talked a little bit about the quarterback's health today. It, it sounds like he's going to be able to play. 
um, if, if they're if they're a legit passing threat, uh, that clearly looks like it could be a problem for SDSU. Uh, you know, Don Gardner is their all-conference cornerback. He's kind of their boundary guy, who they put on the best receiver on the other team usually. He's pretty good, uh, and he made some plays last night. Um, but you know, Southern Illinois had two good receivers, and Don Gardner couldn't cover them both. And whether it was Malik Lofton or Dyshawn Gales or whoever else, uh, they had trouble. Uh, they were basically, hey, we don't have to throw it at Don Gardner. We're going to throw it at the other guy. And whoever it was, that's who they targeted. And and they had a lot of success. Uh, the Jacks have some good safeties, too. Uh, it was nice to see them bring in a nickel back a little more often. It's something they're usually loath to do. Um, they also it looked like it, I'd have to go back and watch it again, but it seemed like in the second half they brought a little bit more pressure. Another thing they don't do an awful lot of but it's hard to bring pressure when you don't have corners that can cover one-on-one. So this is all a long way of saying that uh, if Delaware does indeed have a, a very effective passing attack, a quarterback who can make the throws, receivers who can get open, that's something Jacks fans should be worried about because we saw how much they struggled to cover Avante Cox and Landon Lenore. Well, here's another tidbit that I don't know if you take into account or not, uh, that Delaware, they play, did they play yesterday afternoon? Did everybody play on Sunday, or did some teams play on Saturday? Uh, no, they all played on Sunday. I think okay. it was like 11, 2, 5, and 8. Do you know what time Delaware played at? Uh, either 11 or 2. They okay. were one of the early games. Yeah. The 5 o'clock was James Madison, North Dakota. Okay. Um, so the Jacks had to play that 8 o'clock game on a Sunday, and now they're going to play a Saturday 11 a.m. game. No idea how much that plays into account, but, you know, it's a little – it's. It's a little less recovery time. I guess what balances it out is Delaware's got to spend a few hours taking a, taking a plane and traveling to Brookings. And do these teams fly into Sioux Falls or do they have to fly yep. into Sioux Falls? Okay. Nope, they fly into Sioux Falls and most of them stay in Sioux Falls. Yeah. And uh, if they're continuing to do the extra round of COVID testing, um, it sounds like what they're going to do is the same thing Holy Cross did, which is they'll fly in on Thursday to Sioux Falls, get up Friday morning, drive to Brookings to take COVID tests, Ugh. take the tests in Brookings, then drive back to Sioux Falls, spend Friday night in Sioux Falls, then bus back to the stadium on Saturday to play the game. Um, and yeah, I think all that adds up to <laughs> way more of an inconvenience than the, the six hours or whatever that the Jacks uh, had to stay up later than, than uh, Delaware did. Yeah, that's a pain. Another thing is, and Tyler Merriam dropped this, I heard him earlier today with uh, Mike Hendrickson and Mark Ovenden, Southern Illinois ran 80 plays, uh, and they, uh, so that, that'll wear your defense down a little bit and uh, keep them on their toes, and I think they ran in the second half almost as many plays as SDSU's offense ran the, the whole game. So SDSU's defense might be a little worn out from Le- what is his name? Leban yeah. Leban Lebanowitz and crew. Yeah, it goes uh, back to what we were saying about stats. Uh, Logan Backus, uh, Adam Bach had 14 and 12 tackles on Sunday. That sounds great, but that means they were on the field way too much. You know, it's it's when the, when the Jacks are playing well, those guys have five, six tackles, not 14, not 12. Yeah, there you go. By the way, what would you think of North Dakota State after watching them play? I know that game down, went down to the wire at Sam Houston. That obviously, it was a road game. But uh, does it make you think maybe they weren't even one of the best two or three or four teams in the country? Yeah, definitely. They just uh, weren't that good this year. Yeah, I mean, and you know, Trey Lance is still supposed to be on that team. And if he is, it's a totally different conversation. 
You know, um, I, I honestly feel like that's being glossed over a little bit too much. You know, if, if the Jacks had one guy that was, you know, that good. I mean, obviously the Jacks are playing without Kate Johnson. I know it's not like they're not dealing with it too, but you know, this is a guy that's the number three pick in the NFL draft. Um, he would have made a big difference. Uh, part of it is, you know, they thought they had another guy in Zeb Noland and Zeb couldn't do the job and they had to turn to a true freshman and maybe Cam Miller will turn out to be a great player, but he, he wasn't ready for that. And then you throw on top of it that they had a bunch of injuries at a lot of different positions. Uh, and the other thing that I just kind of gathered from uh, talking to some coaches around the league and listening to some other press conferences and reading some stuff, the Bison have bread, buttered their bread with being outstanding you know, on the line of scrimmage, having a dominant offensive line and dominant defensive line. And they didn't have that this year. And again, you know, Dylan Raddins, Raddins, I don't know how his name's pronounced. He was drafted in the second round. He's supposed to be on that team too. You know, they had a, a first round pick and a second round pick both opt out. That would probably make a pretty big damn difference to have those guys. So on the one hand, yes, I think this is by far the worst team the Bison have had in a decade. They just weren't that good. And when I say weren't that good, obviously, I mean, relative to yes. what we're <laughs> Yeah. But I also would not, and this is another reason I think it's so imperative that the Jacks take advantage of what the opportunity they have this year. I don't think there's any sign that this is the beginning of the end of the dynasty. It could be, it could be, but again, the fact that their two best players got first and second round draft pick, that's not really something that's going to kill the program. If anything, that's going to help the program. They're going to continue to go out and recruit and say, look, guys come go from our program mm -hmm. to the NFL. Well, um, they, yeah. they have another quarterback transfer coming in from Virginia tech who uh, was not eligible for the spring season. I believe he's going to be eligible in the fall. Now who knows? Zeb, Zeb Nolan turned out to not be all that good. Maybe this guy will be the same thing, but indications are this dude is going to come in and be a, a game changer. Um, there's going to be other guys that opted out or didn't play or whatever. They're going to come in. Um, I'm not saying they're going to, you know, rattle off another 40 game winning streak, but I would expect the Bison to be back and to be highly motivated to prove that this spring season was an aberration. And again, that's why whether you're South Dakota state or Sam, all, all these teams that are still alive have to be looking at this as going like, Hey, <laughs> this is our chance because the green and gold aren't here. Well, and of course, now that they didn't even make the Final Four, it officially, it's official, Matt. This was an asterisk season, a joke of a season for FCS football that does not count and does not matter because uh, North Dakota State isn't in the Final Four. So it's, it, certainly that means it can't mean anything. Being a little facetious. Again, there, I don't hear that from I, anyone. I know. I, okay. Uh, so I, I, wanna, I, I do want to, you know, we've got about five minutes for Cade Johnson, five minutes for Trey, Trey Lance before we're over here. And uh, the smoother transition would have been, I guess, to Cade and why the hell he didn't get drafted. But let's stay on that since we're mentioning how big of a difference not having Trey Lance may have made the North Dakota State this year. Uh, and just, you know, the fact that he did get picked third overall, it, it, it's the draft is always a crap shoot. But uh, and we can make fun of these, quote unquote, experts all we want. But it but the. And teams whiff all the time. But the Niners decided, uh, and they weren't the only ones deciding this, that he was one of the smartest players, quarterbacks in the country in a in a loaded quarterback uh, draft room. Not only is he athletic and dual threat, but like he's he's smart, he's sharp before the games, before the plays, and during the plays. And, uh, you know, Mike and Kyle Shanahan have a pretty pristine reputation when it comes to dealing with quarterbacks, whether picking them or, uh, you know, turning them into gold 
and uh, winning or making Super Bowls with them, both of them. Uh, so, and certainly Kyle, in, in very recent years, uh, the Kirk Cousins' best years in Washington were with Kyle Shanahan. Of course, Matt Ryan has dropped off since Shanahan left Atlanta, and they made the Super Bowl. All that, dot, 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 dot. So I do think the fact that it was the Niners that drafted up to get him uh, says something about Trey Lance beyond what I've always kind of thought or at least wondered is that he's just playing for the Alabama of of the of the FCS. He's got the line. He's got all day. His receivers are always wide open. His defense is always making sure that he's never really playing from behind. And uh, yet, I, I do think it kind of, what you just said about what has happened since he left, and he wasn't the only one, which you added, and uh, what the Niners think of him, yeah, tend, uh, tend to make me believe he was something pretty damn special at North Dakota State. And I, I'm not going to make any predictions about what he is going to be in the NFL. But now that you've seen the pick and heard some of some of the things, now, 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 what, now what do you think about his future? I don't know. I mean, I guess I would be a little more confident just in that, you know, if all these guys think that highly of him, it, it seems unlikely that they would be that wrong you know that they would swing and miss that badly uh i did happen to catch i didn't choose to watch it it was just on tv when i was walking around the house and then i ended up listening to it uh scott van pelt had uh john lynch and kyle shanahan on his show the night of the first round and uh to hear the two of them talk about him uh it sure didn't sound like they were you know trying to talk themselves into it you know or that they were really trying to spin it or or sell it It, they seemed really excited like they had like they felt like we got our guy um, you know, the things you were saying about him not just being lauded as a playmaker, athleticism, dual threat, all that, the intelligence, the smarts. I mean, I think the fact that he played a freshman se- an entire season without throwing an interception and did that as a freshman, like, I don't know how many times that's been done in the history of football that a quarterback has played a full season. And especially he played 15 games or 16 games, whatever it was, because of how deep they went and didn't throw an interception. That's amazing. And you would think if anyone ever did that, it would be a senior, not a freshman. So I think that does probably lend itself to the the idea that he's got a high football IQ and, you know, knows, understands schemes and reading defenses and all that kind of stuff. Um, they say he's got a big arm. And I guess that would be, I don't want to say biggest because I, I just didn't get to see the guy play very much. You know, I watched the game in Brookings, obviously, where he didn't need to do a whole lot uh, because the Bison had a, a great day running the football that day. Um I think I watched maybe two other games that year on TV, including the national championship. And yeah, you saw a tremendous playmaker Um, that the one game he played this fall uh, against central Arkansas, he didn't play that well. So that's why there's questions for me. And you did hear the commentator saying like, Hey, you know, this is no first round quarterback has ever thrown fewer passes. You know, he only had 300 attempts in his entire career or whatever you're never going to be able to convince me that there isn't a little bit of uncertainty just because of how little football he's played. Uh, but clearly all the tools are there and, you know, not to pick on anyone else, but you know, when Carson Wentz came out, there were a lot of doubts about him, but I remember thinking like, you know, if you watch this guy play, you could see it. Carson Wentz is a big dude who could move. You know, he, he was built like Dan Marino. You would think he'd be the kind of guy who couldn't move. Uh, but he was really fast, really athletic, really mobile. Uh, could take a shot, uh, and just had a cannon for an arm. And I remember thinking, like, man, I'll really be surprised if this guy flops. And I know he's at a tough spot in his career right now, but the way he started off his career, I feel like he kind of validated it. He's like, hey, this guy, you could see that he had the tools. 
And the fact that he's playing in Fargo didn't mean as much. The guy can play. And then conversely, when Easton Stick was coming out, I'm still kind of surprised he got drafted. Uh, I think he got drafted largely because he won so much at North Dakota State. And uh, he's a great football player. And you know what I mean when coaches use the word football player versus quarterback. I mean, Easton Stick doesn't have a very strong arm. He didn't make a, a ton of great plays throwing the ball. I don't think he's going to have a long career in the NFL as a quarterback. And again, I'm not trying to pick on the guy. Great kid who had an amazing career. You could argue he's the most successful quarterback in history. But he didn't have those same tools that Carson Wentz did and that Trey Lance does. So you look at those three, and it just sort of tracks. Like, Wentz had the tools. He made it. Stick, in my opinion, doesn't have the tools. Late-round pick so far hasn't got to play. Lance looks like he has the tools. Everyone says he has the tools. I think he's probably going to have a pretty good career. We'll and, see. And your, your concern about him isn't, again, in your words, that, it, that it's been a while since he will have played, especially if he doesn't play. No, it's just that he hasn't game. played that much. And, and I went back and I, and I thought, how many quarterbacks in the history of, of, of time who have played in the NFL – Maybe he only did want start one year at college because it, it used to be back in the day, or Joe at least Burrow. my perception Joe is. Burrow only play one year. Uh, no, yeah, I did too. He had he had he had a junior season where he was pretty ordinary. I'll I, I can Google that right away, but no, he did play some at LSU. Um, but I mean, like a full year as the dude, sort of. I think he just had the one year. I think he was the dude the year before. I'm, I've got that drummed up right now. Uh, no, uh, that's a, uh, sorry. I was looking at a bunch of others. Well, before we get to him, I'll get to like, so I just looked up the greats cause we, cause we're trying to project greatness, right? I mean, if he's, if Trey Lance is a productive NFL quarterback and the Niners win a bunch of games, great. But you know, I, I, you go right to the top. John Elway started for four years at Stanford. Uh, Dan Marino had three or three years at Pittsburgh. Tom Brady even had two years at Michigan. He was always kind of, you know, famously embroiled there. Peyton Manning, three years at Tennessee. So, uh, you know, when it comes to that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, multiple years at California. Uh, so a lot of the great ones did did have at least a couple years starting in college. Does that mean Trey Lance can't be or won't be great? No. You know, another thing is, is if he does go, let's just say this past year, with the exception of that one game, and then he does not play, you know, it's Garoppolo for the Niners this year, which is uh, not likely because only because uh, if – if they start Jimmy, he's going to get hurt at some point. That's what his track record shows, and they'll need Trey Lance to come in. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't play for three three years, remember? And he came right in, and boy, he was cold, and he was and he was sensational right away. Now that's Aaron freaking Rodgers, but that's part of my point. If you are great, you'll be able to go a couple seasons without throwing the ball, and then all of a sudden just start pl- playing quarterback in the National Football League and be pretty good right away if you're on a decent team. And of course, Aaron Rodgers was so. We'll see about that. Any, anything to add to that? No. What about uh, Cade Johnson? What uh, We were talking about this. We were golfing on Saturday, and uh, we, were, we were out there for it seemed like the entire day, uh, which to me was fine. We're drinking beer and golfing the entire day. Uh, and, but you obviously, part of your job, you're looking on your phone to see if Cade, is he drafted yet? Is he drafted yet? There was a lot of fourth-round projections. There was one third-round projection. Didn't get drafted. WTF. What uh, What do you think happened there? Yeah, I mean, I felt kind of like, you know, shame on me for this happening again because there have been so many years in the last few years that we've talked about, is this guy from SDSU going to get drafted? You know, Jake Winicky, Taron Christian, Christian Roseboom, Jordan Brown, Mikey Daniel, all these guys. 
and even Zach Zenner, you know, and uh, we always thought, yeah, you know, it's you know, fifth, sixth round, maybe seventh round, something. And year after year after year after year, these guys don't get drafted. Uh, Jordan Brown did get taken in the seventh. He had been projected as high as the third or fourth. And obviously Dallas Goddard, but that's kind of a separate thing. He was, you know, in the first round stratosphere kind of. So I kind of, after the last couple of years, I was kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore where I'm going to try and project some dude for SDSU going to get drafted when he, when he's just probably not gonna, because you know, whatever the reason is that teams are, are just hesitant to pull the trigger on a guy from South Dakota state or, you know, the teams don't see them the same way the analysts do, whatever. But Kate Johnson was so highly regarded by everyone, uh, got so much national attention at the Senior Bowl, and he was a top 100 player on almost every board that I saw. And Pro Football Focus, which is one of the most respected services out there as far as you know, scouting and evaluating and, and grading players, had him at number 77. That's early third round. Now, I didn't think he was going to go early third round because even if Pro Football Focus or NFL Draft Bible or NFL.com, any of these things have a guy that high, teams are still going to go, yeah, but I've never heard of him. Who the hell's is Cade Johnson? South Dakota State, but, you know, there's always going to be, you know, almost like a 30-pick a penalty just based on the level you're at, you know, mm. with, with obvious exceptions for guys like Trey Lance and Dallas Goddard even. Um but man, to think that he would drop from, okay, these, this guy, this service thinks he's a third round talent. This service thinks he's a fourth round talent. NFL.com thinks he's a fifth round talent, whatever it is. That all is, is pretty, seemed pretty significant that this wasn't just another, oh, here's a guy from a small school that might, someone might take a flyer on him in, in, a, in a late round. I did not for the life of me think he wouldn't get drafted. I thought, uh, I was kind of thinking fourth or fifth round. And I was thinking sixth or seventh round while a like that would be bad. Like that would be like, man, what, how did he slip that far that he went all the way down to the sixth round or the seventh round as the seventh round started. And, you know, he, he's like number two or number three on Mel Kuyper's best available, you know, that's flashing across the bottom of the screen. I was just like, how, how, and why is this happening? You know, cause it's not like he's got character issues. Like I said, I mean, yeah. that's, you know, off the charts character, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, he was a great student. He's the kind of kid who, if you interview him once, he's going to blow you away with his intelligence, his demeanor, his friendliness, his everything. I mean, the only, the only thing to not like about him is the fact that he's just not very big and understood, understood. That's what's preventing him from being, you know, a, a first day, second day pick. Um, but it's also, it's not like he's a midget, you know, I mean, it's not like he's <laughs> five, four, one thirty. You know, he's 5'10", 190. I mean, there's plenty of wide receivers in the NFL, good wide receivers in the NFL that are that size. And, uh, you know, when you factor in his, his speed, athleticism, uh, his hands, the, the fact that he can return kicks, all that, I just, for the life of me, I don't understand it. But I will say, once he did slip, all, once it gets to the seventh round, then, you know, you kind of think maybe he's better off not getting drafted because then at least he can choose where he wants to go. You know, if he gets taken in the seventh round by some team that maybe didn't even really want him, but they're just kind of like, it's the seventh round. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. Jump, let's go to state, whatever. You know, that's not an ideal situation. Whereas if you don't get drafted at all and some teams call you and say, hey, we want to bring you in. I mean, I'm sure Kate had offers from at least five teams and probably more than that. 
and he got to pick. And yeah. I happen to know for a fact from talking to Cade that he's a huge Russell Wilson fan. So that might have played into it. And maybe, it, maybe that had nothing to do with that. I don't know. Maybe it was just a good fit. His agent said this is where he should go. But he's going to go catch passes from one of the best quarterbacks in the world. Um, and I, I don't really know a ton about the Seahawks uh, wide receiver room, how many guys they got or whatever. Uh, but that seems like a pretty good situation for him. Uh, I would have thought before the draft that he was a 53-man roster guy. Uh, but now that he didn't even get drafted, that I think makes the practice squad maybe a little bit more of a likely scenario, which kind of sucks. I know that's not what Cade wanted to do, but he'll do it if that's what he has to do. And he's going to go in there with a chip on his shoulder. And oh, I know yeah. these are all cliches that we hear all the time, chip on his shoulder, I'm going to show them. But that's kind of the kind of dude he is, and yep. that's how he showed up so well at the Senior Bowl. Shit, that's how he became what he was at South Dakota State. He was a walk-on. Uh, his if he didn't go to SDSU, his other choice was probably going to be either Mankato or Northwest Missouri. You know, he decided to walk on at SDSU and prove that he deserved it. And, you know, he ended up being a two-time All-American and a guy who should have got drafted. So, Well, I'm sure in his mind he was proving that he should have gone to Nebraska. Or, you know, or a lot of people told him he should have walked on at Nebraska and worked his way up there. And He was really looking forward to that game they were supposed I to play. I know. I yeah. know. By the way, I'm here to help you on that Seattle wide receiver group. Um, I just Googled Cade Johnson, and, you know, one of the first things I found, this is an SI.com kind of offshoot website called Fan Nation, and it's uh, the Seahawk version of it called Seahawk Maven. And uh, I'll just read the headline. Cade Johnson instantly becomes top on the bubble receiver for Seahawks after signing his uh, undrafted free agent. Uh, after picking just three times in the 2021 NFL draft, the Seahawks were aggressive in the undrafted free agent market. Plenty of exciting names to go over. Perhaps none stand out more than South Dakota State receiver Cade Johnson. And it says that uh, the Seahawks had very little depth at receiver beyond the two guys everybody knows, DJ Metcalf, the super freak, and Tyler Lockett. They have a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, in place. Uh, and, of course, we know that Russell Wilson wants a much bigger investment in his say in offensive personnel. That was part of some offseason controversy where he you know, did a little power play, a little drama, queen action, and... Uh, so it's a, it's a position where they've they've quite obviously needed more weapons for the last few years for for Russell Wilson, and so maybe there's an open door there if he's got the chip on his shoulder. Um, of course, after those top two guys who are you know, literal you know stars, Lockett and Metcalf, uh, you know he can make some hay if he's uh, if if all that cliche really will. Uh, will play into it. Or it could be the situation where didn't is that isn't that where Taron Christian went and mm-hmm. he got there and Pete Carroll, who, you know, you would think is the he's mostly just standing over there watching defensive guys. So correct me if I'm wrong, was Pete Carroll's just kinda like, eh, I just not for me. Not no no thanks. Yeah, for and it was, year, it was over. Aaron did not perform well in Seattle. Yeah. Um, but then he went straight from there to I don't know if it was straight to Dallas or if there was somewhere in between, but he ended up spending that whole preseason with Dallas. And then he played really well with Dallas. And but their last preseason game, he played, I think the entire second half, maybe even most of the game threw a couple touchdown passes, looked like he was going to go to their practice squad. The last second they decided not to keep him. And that was kind of it. So I know he got a cup of coffee with the Steelers later that same year. Um, that was yeah. for a week to spell Lamar Jackson, I think. Right, right. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he got a week's paycheck. But, yeah, yeah. that was yeah. – It's crazy how these things can be uh, – you know, how you can have these undrafted free agents turn into these <laughs> incredible careers like 
don't know. I think Wes Welker and Danny Woodhead, those are guys that were undrafted. Zach Zenner. I mean, he didn't Zach have a productive yeah. career, but he spent five years in the NFL. Yeah. You know? And then it's a couple million bucks. And then it's pretty amazing First. how. Yeah. CJ Ham, there's a better example. He's going to, you know, end up having Perfect. a 10-year career and just signed a multi-million dollar extension. So And yeah. you never know. It's hard to tell. It is partly the team you start on and where it goes from I, there. I, didn't think, I I covered CJ Ham's whole college career. I thought he was a great Division 2 player. I didn't think he was going to play in the NFL. You know. Well, we've already got a lot of overtime here. Do you have anything to say about the Vikings draft? Um, not a big fan of the quarterback they drafted. It's kind of nice that they finally used a semi-early round pick on a dude. And who knows? I could be wrong. I just, I don't know. Whatever. They got some <laughs> got some linemen again. Right. We'll see. Right. We're out of t- it's so boring to me. Uh, and we're out of time. And then, oh, oh, too bad. Time's up to talk about the Twins as well. What I haven't she? been watching them. I, I, was gonna, just, I figured you were going to tell me that. Well, that's good. Uh, I hope things perk up so they give us something to talk about. But if they don't, Sioux Falls Canaries. Two weeks away, nine-game homestand to open the season. A lot of fun at the ballpark. Uh, Zim's going to be doing a, a one-on-one interview with one of the new owners, uh, which I know he's looking forward to, and I can't wait to read. That's next week. We'll talk more about them in the coming weeks. And uh, but we uh, have a, We this is good news. We're in Maine. We have a we have a Jackrabbit football team still going for a national title. So I'm sure that will uh, chew up a lot of our time next week as well, Zim. Uh, oh, and any uh, any final thoughts about our round of golf on Saturday? I played pretty well for being my first time picking up a club all year. I think I shot a 96. That's good for me in the middle of the summer for first time. That's I must be onto something. Yeah, there you go. Come on out. Come on out to the Lincota Golf Club in Lenox. It'll All right, tr- I gotta it'll, go. It'll treat you right. Okay, get out of here. See ya. See you later. <laughs> uh, Matt Zimmer, Argus leader. Again, uh, we, it, this was almost the week where Zim and I returned to the Gateway Lounge to do this podcast. I mean, the whole premise of this when it started was uh, Zim and I have done a lot of radio together over the years. He was always my first choice. When uh, Craig Maddock was gone uh, to fill three hours, especially in those dog days of summer of local sports talk, and you could always count on him. And uh, while we had a lot of fun doing that, uh, we had more fun, as most of us do, you know, when we would talk sports off a microphone and at a bar with a couple of drinks in us or more. And uh, we did get to do that a lot on Saturday out on the golf course in Lenox, but uh yeah, we, we, we've had this opportunity with uh, the Gateway Lounge helping us out uh, with those drinks and that food and that atmosphere and that ambiance, and we got off to a great start, but uh, the COVID numbers kept skyrocketing, and we didn't have a vaccine then. Well, Zim and I are all vaxxed up, ready to party, baby, and uh, so maybe next week will be the week. Until then, uh, Gateway, by the way, parking lot being paved through Wednesday, and uh, is closed, unfortunately. But after that, Saturday morning, 11 a.m., Jackson and the gang will be ready for you. They're going to have uh, one of the best sports bar menus in town. I mean, the best. Let's get real. Uh, with how good their pizza is, they could just be a pizza joint, and they could make a lot of money. Uh, and they don't give you these dinky little wings when you order chicken wings, like some places that a lot of people go to because they got wings in the name. No. Uh, they give you some big ass meaty delicious wings with their sauces and uh, they're also a great headquarters to watch your 
South Dakota State Jackrabbits or your South Dakota Coyotes or whatever. You want to go watch and you want to go there and be a bit of a troll and and to cheer against the Jackrabbits if you're a Yote fan, go go right ahead. That'll that'll just pile on the awesome ambiance that is always there for big sporting events at the Gateway when it's nice and dark in there. Um, and uh, uh, 30 TVs, it feels like a movie theater. Awesome service, locally owned business. Uh, Papa Bear the Patriarch just turned 90, and I know they had a big celebration for him. Uh, your local dollars go a long way when you go to the Gateway Lounge and enjoy yourself to watch sports. Uh, that's it. In the meantime, it's been fun doing this again on the phone with Matt. It was good to actually see him in person for just the second time since last fall at the Gateway. Uh, he's been pretty uh, holed up and hermited. Uh, we ran into each other at one USF Augie women's basketball game in February, and that was it. But uh, uh, usually he's at home. I'm at home. I've been inside the birdcage here today, and uh, I'm just telling you, get ready. We'll be talking about it more in the coming weeks. Uh, it's a whole new ball game out here. Sioux Falls Canaries have always been a nice, family fun, friendly family-friendly place to go, catch some baseball, little green grass, and some cold beer. It's going to be the place to be this summer. And uh, it's been my job partly to help put that together. We have new owners. They're killing it in sales. Uh, I don't want to oversell this thing, but I think you're going to really, if you haven't been to Canaries game in a while, go to sfcanaries.com and get your tickets. And once you go there or follow the Canaries on social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, our new broadcaster, Joey Zanaboni, he's a nutball in the best possible way. Uh, they're going to be back on the radio this year, back on Fox Sports 98.1 and KWSN. So if you're driving around and listen to Joey, I guarantee you within a minute of turning on that dial, he's going to make you laugh or you're going to go, what did he just say? Uh, it, it, and it's all part of the whole new ball game out here. We are going to make it fun. And um, sfcanaries.com. Season starts, opening shots night, Tuesday, May 18th. About two weeks from whatever you're listening to this right now. If you've been vaccinated, bring your card. You're getting free. Simple as that. Pretty cool deal, right? Uh, for Matt Zimmer, I'm John Gaskins. We'll talk to you again next week on Nobody's Listening Anyway. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Because <laughs> you know the wrong drinks? Yes. Yeah.